630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Now through the neutral zone comes Connor McDavid. Double team, got it back. Chris shot, score. What a beautiful move. the five. Hey Edmonton, that's your quarterback, Mike Riley to the end zone. Touchdown Eskimo. Ladies and gentlemen, Dagger. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chet. Well, let's get this party started. Welcome aboard to Inside Sports. Now, also available in unscented. Coming up tonight, Morley Scott with an update. He's covering the Oil Kings Wheat Kings series for us. He'll let us know what happened last night and look ahead to tonight's game four. Big one for the Oil Kings. Their lead shaved down to two games to one after the victory by Brandon last night. Former NHL general manager, He's with the NHL on Rogers. Doug McLean will chime in tonight. He'll talk about uh, dealing with trade requests like the one that Neil Yakupov has issued to the Edmonton Oilers. We will also get an in-studio visit from a man who was very busy one year ago, and uh, he got uh, a little bit of fame out of this. Rob Suggett, Edmonton businessman, 30 games in 30 nights. Yeah, you remember the tour. Well, Rob is still traveling to see hockey games this season, though not quite to the extent that he did last year. We'll uh, reflect on the one-year anniversary of the tour and talk about some of his latest adventures as well. Thanks for tuning in tonight. It is Reed Wilkins with you. It is 6.07. We'll get to your out-of-town scoreboard as we move along as well. Busy night in the NHL, but we want to bring in our weekly featured guest here on Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender. He's an analyst with the NHL on Rogers. He's an all-around good guy, whether you like him or not. Trust me, he is. It's Kelly Rudy. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you you haven't have to uh, defend my character before I come on the show. I like it. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the the booing comment from about six weeks ago really divided people. That was kind of fun, actually. Uh, that right, I still can't agree for that. Uh, people backed off after about ten days, but <laughs> but it, it lingered. Uh. Hey, that's good radio then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, uh, had people talk and uh, and all that kind of stuff, and you can't be likable all the time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, hey, before we get to some of the uh, the topics I want to hit on you with, uh, I, I saw about the last twenty five minutes, end of the second period, and the and the third of that game last night. It started when I was still in studio, and I was like, oh, well, five minutes in, here's a, here's another Flames loss in Anaheim. I mean, the, I was talking about these yeah. two incredible streaks. The Oilers have not beaten Arizona in 23 games in regulation time, and, and now it's also 23 straight losses for the Flames in Anaheim. They were manhandled last night. Um, the uh, Flames weren't ready. Um, the first shift of the game was a, a phenomenal shift from uh, Ryan Getzlaff. That was a world-class shift right there. He set the tone early, and in fact, after that, they scored on that same shift. Uh, it wasn't a game after that. Jonas Hiller was not very good at all. Um, he's had a miserable season, so he was pulled after giving up three early goals in the first period. Nick Baxter came in, and uh, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, terrible, but he wasn't good either. Um, that was just a really solid effort by 
by Anaheim, and that was something that uh, their coach had talked to us in the morning about, that uh, coming home from that five-game road trip in which you guys saw them in Edmonton, they had moments where they are pretty good and other times where they maybe lacked a little bit of focus. So they were really good for the first, say, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Uh, they backed off a little bit in the third, but it's pretty understandable. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're already up by five or six goals, uh, you tend to take off the, yeah. the gas a little bit. Kelly, a week from today, the Oilers will have played their final game at Rexall Place. Now, not only did you visit that building several times as a visiting goaltender, including with a couple of teams that had pretty strong rivalries with the Oilers, but as, as we pointed out several times, you, you, uh, you grew up uh, in Edmonton and uh, remember the WHA and, and all that, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I told you ahead of time, we, we, we got to talk about this. I don't, I don't know if there's a, a memory or two that stands out there or any connection that you feel to Rexall Place, but, but I'm, I'm curious to know how you think of the old barn. I do. I, it was a, a fantastic uh, building. I, I really enjoyed playing there. It was nerve-wracking playing in front of my family and friends uh, when I finally made the National High League. But I can tell you my first memory of it was, uh, I guess it would have been 1974-75 season when my idol, Jacques Plante, played for the Oilers. And I just remember going to the game. I can't recall who brought me uh, to the game. It might have been my mom and dad, but I can't recall. I was, would have been 13 years old. 1974-75, Jacques Plante, and I recall watching him the entire warm-up and thinking, my God, I honestly can't believe I am in the same building as Jacques Plante. And I, I tried to uh, mimic all his moves, all growing up and playing hockey, and, and that was a lasting image for me about uh, that great man. And he retired after that year, so I was very fortunate, and I knew it at the time. I was very grateful that I had a chance to actually see one of my idols in person because back then I think it would have been even more difficult, um, and there weren't as many televised games and all that, so it was uh, few and far between. I was able to watch him, but I, I, he had this book read. It was simply called Goaltending, and that's, that, was the, that was the title. And I read that religiously almost every single day during the hockey season and then leading up into uh, September and so on in the fall, going back into the season. And I tried to uh, learn from it. I studied my edges because he was really big into uh, skating ability and, and your edges and pushing off all your crease movements. He had these drills that I tried to do all the time. So he was a very influential person in my life, and luckily for me, I saw him for the first time in Rexall. Well, that is a, a really cool story, getting to see one of your heroes live, man, for sure. You remember that. You said something that interests me, though. You said it was nerve-wracking playing in front of your family and friends. I mean, you and I have had several discussions about mental strength, focus, yeah. not being nervous. Yeah. Certainly, you, you would have yeah. played in front of your family and friends before. Why was it different in Edmonton and in the NHL? Right. It takes a, a, a turn. At least it did for me. And I've talked to some of my friends that played, and they felt the, they felt or feel the same way for some of the current guys. That, you know, all growing up, you just you love the fact that your parents are in the building watching you, and you have that support, and you feel it, and it's, a, it's an awesome feeling. You drive home with them after the game, and, and it, it's, it's a unique experience that you're sharing something really cool with your family, and that all of a sudden... You move away, and, and if you're lucky enough anyways, then you're, you start to get some progress in your career. And I first went to Medicine Hat, 
Um, and they didn't get a chance to see me very often when I was there. Didn't get a chance to see me very often when I was in the minors. But when I made the NHL start make more frequent visits to Edmonton, I just found it to be overwhelming sometimes. I didn't want to uh, let my parents down. I didn't want to embarrass them in case I had a poor game. Uh, I wanted them to be very proud of me. And then you had family members and the same thing. You have those same feelings. You have friends that haven't seen you a long time. And you want to make sure that uh, when they come see you that it's uh, maybe a, an enjoyable post-game visit and you're not down in the dumps or in my case I'd always be furious at myself if I played poorly and so I, I was just so worried that afternoon I was able to get a little bit better I suppose when I played in LA because we played in Edmonton often but it was still a, an uncomfortable feeling for me I, I just felt so much better in other buildings and, and not having to deal with that same sort of pressure Wow, that that's really interesting that you you say that, Kelly, because I'm sure. It, I I mean I'm 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 sure now that you're a, a parent yourself and you're a mature adult, yeah. that you would think, yeah. well, I would never think a kid in the NHL would, I would disappoint me if he had a bad game or I'd be embarrassed by it, right? <laughs> I know, right? How crazy the mind thinks or works, right? So. I had, uh, I guess, planted all these uh, thoughts in my head. And to me, it wasn't uh, debilitating, though. It was kind of motivating. I, I don't recommend it for everybody, but uh, to a certain degree, I have those same thoughts when I'm a broadcaster. If I have a bad night, and uh, I have many, I get really mad at myself, and I, and I, I want to be really good the next night. So I, I, I make sure that I have all my preparation um, in place, I have my routine. I do all my work so that, that in my head, anyways, it's less likely that I'm going to stumble. And so I've carried some of those same traits I had in hockey into broadcasting. For for instance, same thing. I, I I'm I'm ecstatic after a really good broadcast, like I was after a game, and I'm just furious with myself. I told you just a few minutes ago. Yeah. If I don't think I've had a very good night broadcasting, and, and I'm kind of curious tonight how it's going to go for me here in Los Angeles, because I thought last night Rick Ball and I had a really good call in Anaheim, and it's, you know, like that golfer thing. You want to follow up a, a 67 with another 67 and not shoot 74, so tonight I'm hoping I'm going to be just as sharp as last night. Yeah, that's great. Kelly Rudy joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. It is 616. Penguins leading Nashville 2-1 with 11 minutes left in the second period. The Penguins, by the way, are 12-3-2 in the month of March. Kelly, on, on Saturday night, Laurent Brassois played goal for the Oilers against the L.A. Kings. And on L.A.'s second goal, he was knocked down by Milan Lucic. And a couple of seconds later, Jeff Carter fired the puck into the net while Brassois was still down. I was watching that game here in studio with Rob Brown. The Oilers challenged it, and I thought to myself, well, there is the most obvious case of goalie interference, and here's a goal that's going to be overturned. And, of course, we were wrong. And uh, I, I just, I mean, I was just like, why are we reviewing these plays then if if they're going to look at it and, and not and not get it right? And, and you're an ex-goaltender, and some people have said, and McClellan said the refs, you know, said, well, you know, Brassois had time to get up. He shouldn't have been lying around like that. And I'm like, he shouldn't be knocked down to begin with. And I know I sound like a homer because mm -hmm. it's an Edmonton play, but there's a lot of these goalie interference calls I've seen around the league where even with video review, I still don't get it. Okay, so I'll take you through. I did this on Saturday, and, and Nick 
Cipros disagreed with me to a certain degree. But um, here's what a goaltender thinks under those uh, conditions. So Persuade is knocked down. That's obvious. Nobody disputes that that's uh, goalie interference at all. Um, what, what, go, what takes place after that, a series of events. So the goaltender, his first thought is not to get up, it's to find us. That's your number one goal. So you're now down, you're in a prone position most likely, you're not in a regular position on your knees and down, but you're usually on your side or maybe on your back or something, and now you're trying to find the puck. And the moment that he would have found the puck, now your brain switches again to what happened. So he recognizes, in all likelihood, I would think, that it's Jeff Carter. So he's a right-handed shot. He's right in front of me. And all he has to basically do, because I'm in, in a bad position here, just sweep the puck towards the net. And, and likelihood, it's going to go under me or through me or something. So at that time, when he recognizes Carter has the puck on a stick, now he has to decide what to do. And, and you're going to stay down in the event. You're going to try and right yourself just a little bit, but you're going to stay down. So he went and tried to do the double pad stack, and, which was the right thing to do. And then Carter, because he's patient, he takes his time and goes off to his uh, right, Carter's right, and finds the time to roof it. But in that time, you don't know when he's going to shoot. So you can't make the movement to get up. And that's where my dispute is with how this is called. The people that put that rule in place, you know, they, their intentions are right, but they don't know what a goalie thinks. So they think automatically, well, I'm going to try and get to my feet. But no, that's not what you think. You get to your feet when you have time. And so there, the league stance would be, well, he had enough time set. But he doesn't because the puck's in play and it's five feet away from him. How can you reset? You know, that's not because if you try to reset, in all likelihood, you're going to put yourself out of position even worse for a split second. And a guy like Carter's going to score anyway. So that's my whole thing with this um, idea that I just wish they would understand it more from a goalie standpoint. And there are times, there's no question, and all of us have been guilty of it, that they do embellish and that you take your time. But we recognize those circumstances. This one was an embellishment by Persuade. It was just a natural movement trying to figure out what's taking place in front of them. Well, I, I, that's a great explanation from how a goalie would feel in that situation. So thanks for bringing us right into the crease there. And, and I just feel, too, it's like they were saying, well, there was a violation by the Kings player, and but then this happened next. But in my mind, there should be no but. Either there's a violation or there isn't. If there's a viola- violation, yeah. you shouldn't try to justify uh, why, why, why you're not calling it. And it, it's frustrating that... Uh, that uh, you know the the video review in a lot of goalie inter- interference cases hasn't gone the way fans thought it was going to go, but I guess it gives us something to talk about. Well, and it's open to <laughs> and it's open to some interpretation too. The other part of it, Reed, is and I was told this directly from the officials that the first thing the officials are told to look for is it in the blue paint or outside, and I understand that to a certain degree, but to me that's that's not cut and dry. That doesn't mean that it's interference or it's not. There are other uh, circumstances in which you can be interfered if you're a goalie, if you're outside the crease. And that's not a, a very serious consideration on their part. Yeah. 
Kelly, great stuff. Really appreciate those memories of Rexall Place and how you took us inside the, what Brassois would have been feeling in that situation, man. Have a great game tonight. Yeah. I hope it's another 67. Okay, thanks, pal. I'll talk to you next week, Reed. That is Kelly Rudy checking in tonight inside sports on 630. Chet, man, love that explanation of why it was unrealistic for Brassois to get straight up on Saturday night after being knocked down by Milan Lucic. We got a couple texts coming in about that to 630-630. I'll get to those. Of course, our phone number is 780-496-0063. The latest on the Oilers and their injuries, too, when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Cam Talbot expected to start in goal on Saturday against the Calgary Flames. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, day-to-day. Adam Party, day-to-day. Eric Griba, technically day-to-day, but unlikely to play against the Flames. We'll see about Nugent Hopkins and Party. Nugent Hopkins uh, didn't really take part in the battle drills today at practice. 780-496-0063. We have Scott on the phone line. Scott, thanks for giving me a ring. What's up? Hey, Reid. Love the show, by the way. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to bring up something with that no call on Brassois. It's, it's the same thing like another friend of mine had said. He said, like, with the uh, embellishment calls. He says it's kind of frustrating when, you know, let's say a player hooks another player and he goes down, but one guy gets called for embellishment and the other guy gets called for the penalties. How can you have it both ways? He says that it should either be diving or it should be hooking. You know, you can't have the best of both worlds. Yeah, I like I agree with you. There have been the odd occasion where I've thought to myself, okay, the guy did dive, but he was legitimately hooked. But I agree, most of the times the ref should either pick one or the other. It was either exactly. a foul or, or he dove. Yeah, anyways, that's the only thing I wanted to bring up. Have a good night. Yeah, thanks for calling, Scott. We got Terry on the line as well. Hey, Terry, go ahead, man. Hey, I'm just call- calling about the uh, offside. When you have an offside, you know, or offside call when the goal scored, they don't care how long the play is going in there as long as the puck doesn't go out over the blue line. So why can't they do that for the goaltender interference? If there's interference, there's interference. There's no question about it. The goal's disallowed. Well, I, I agree in that. It seems to me that's what the Oilers were told. It's like, well, yeah, he was knocked down, but he but he should have got up. I mean, I if mean, he's... Whether he got up 30 seconds or two seconds, he was interfered. If there's an interference, you know, an offside, the play can go on for five minutes as long as it doesn't go outside the blue line. Right. And they just allow the goal. Well, that and that's and that's the thing. And that's sorry. Is your name Terry or Barry? Terry. Okay. Sorry. Um, I, that's that's the thing I don't understand is when I see when I see that play that happens Saturday and other plays. I mean, we're talking about this one because it was an Oilers game and we just had an ex goalie on, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like video review is helping. So if you're not going to use video review to your advantage, why bother reviewing the play? I mean, I, I agree with your comment that it's it's either one way or not. Like, there's no, it should be no discretion. Either he was interfered with or he wasn't. Yeah, I think they got to clean that up next year for sure. Thanks for calling. No thanks. Bye. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. The text line to six thirty six thirty. I will get to a couple of those. We have uh, oh, Morley Scott's going to check in. He's covering the Oil Kings Wheat Kings series for us. Game four tonight in just over half an hour at Rexall Place. That is a big one. The Wheat Kings won three one last night. They had tons of power plays. We'll find out how that happened when we get back. 
This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. So we will have some special programming for you on Wednesday leading into the final Oilers game at Rexall Place. Here's how the day will play out. We'll have Oilers now from noon to 2. From 2 to 3 on Wednesday afternoon, we will have a one-hour documentary called Rexall's Last Stand. Looking forward to that. Very special little piece that we've put together for you. So I hope you're able to tune in from that. The, the, uh, to that, the face-off show will go from 3 to 5. And uh, the game against the Canucks will be at 5. And then we'll bring you the post-game ceremony all here on 630 Chet. So uh, that'll be a, a fun day. I know I've been working on that documentary with Dean Vince in our production department. And uh, we like what we're putting together for you. So I hope you're able to, to check that out. Just keeping an eye on uh, Twitter here. By the way, my name is Reed Wilkins. Matthew Panashik is on the other side of the window. Jeff is on the open line. We're going to get to him right away. Eileen Bell, I don't know if you've met her. She reads news in the afternoon. Tweeted out three minutes ago, Nikki is one of the most unpleasant people I have ever seen on reality TV. Hashtag BBCan4. So in other words, Eileen Bell goes home and does not listen to Inside Sports. Thanks, thanks, Eileen. That's great. Thanks. What is BBCan4? Big Brother Canada. Oh, all right. Well, Jeff's listening to Inside Sports and not watch and is not watching Big Brother. Jeff, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you calling. Not a problem. I just had a few thoughts on Yakupov. Uh, one being, uh, I think if he gets the right coach, like a, a motivator like Kruger and Nelson were, and gets the right line mates, he could be a serious contributor for at least a, you know a depth, a good depth score. And for everybody who thinks they should have took Murray in that draft, you might have not had a reason to take Nurse the next year. Well, maybe. You never know where, where the Oilers would have wound up finishing, right? But, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. In, in In 2012, was that the year they should have traded the number one pick? Traded down? Maybe. Um, like, like, you look at the defense, and I think that was Riley, Truba, Hampus, Lindholm in that draft, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, even Reinhardt was in that draft for sure, yeah. So... Well, I, it's also a lot like the, the Niederreiter or even to a lesser extent Grigorenko situation. And you look at Niederreiter, he was getting chewed out all the time. The Islanders got traded and he's 20 goals for now. Well, that was a pretty lopsided trade at the end of the day, wasn't it? It was a bit, yeah. But uh, I, like, I hope, like, I don't, I don't think Yakupov is going to be here next year. It, it seems pretty unlikely. I hope he does well. Like, I've had people accuse me of being anti-Russian. Like, I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I'm not even anti-Yakupov. It's just I haven't seen him consistently contribute enough to the flow of a hockey game. And I know oh, he's. I would agree with that 100. percent Like, you see flashes of brilliance from him on occasion. It's just it's not throughout a whole game. Well, and how often is he the first guy in on the forecheck? How often does he really get, get physical with the guy or, or get really intense with a puck paddle along the boards? There's too much fishing for the puck. There's too much shying away from contact, and I think that really has hurt him in the eyes of the coaching staff as much as anything else. 
Yeah. All right, Jeff. Thanks for listening, buddy. Yeah. That is Jeff at 780-496-0063. Before we bring in Morley Scott for an update on the Oil Kings Wheat Kings series, I want to jump into the Crystal Glass scoreboard. Crystal Glass, for all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Here's what's happening. The uh, Sabres lead the Maple Leafs 3-1 late in the second period. Cal O'Reilly has two goals on the season I, uh, to get up to three. Wasn't his first goal against the Oilers? I think it was. Uh, the Islanders lead the Blue Jackets 3-2. That's also late in the second period. Tavares, two goals. He now has 29. The Penguins, who, as I mentioned, are 12-3-2 in the month of March, up 4-2 on the Predators late in the second frame. Crosby with his 33rd. Kessel has two. He now has 25 on the season. The Rangers are up 3-2 on the Hurricanes with three minutes left in the second frame. Uh, Riley, or sorry, Riley Nash, Rick Nash, with this because I'm thinking of Riley Nash because that stopper spoof we did the other day. That's the Riley Nash show. Rick Nash with his 15th of the of the season. Uh, the Devils up one nothing on the Panthers early in the second period. No score. Senators and Wild late in the first. The Habs have a one nothing lead on the Lightning. The second period just started. Still to come. The Flames up against the Kings. Canucks up against the Sharks and the Coyotes visit the Stars. Uh, I mean, you can kind of take an educated guess here that probably the highest the Oilers are going to finish is, well, I mean, probably 26th looking at the standings. More likely they will be in the bottom four. Uh, Columbus has 68 points. Vancouver and Toronto, 67. The Oilers have 67 Columbus, Vancouver, and Toronto all with three games in hand, one of which are all being played tonight. Uh, Buffalo and the Islanders are losing, and I'm... Is it too early to call a Vancouver loss to the Sharks? I mean, they're 1-8-1 and one in their last 10. Well, no, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. It's just Vancouver's playing bad. I mean, when the Oilers play bad, I say they play bad, so I'm allowed to say other teams are playing bad. Wasn't Vancouver shut out three straight games? I mean, they're doing really bad right now. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Could the Oilers pass Vancouver and Toronto by the end of the year? Uh, we'll see. All right. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you for tuning in at Rexall Place. Huge game tonight. Oil Kings and Wheat Kings. Morley Scott, who is our Eskimos play-by-play voice, is covering this series for us. Morley, how are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. You are uh, getting ready for the uh, big game four here between the Oil Kings and the Brandon Wheat Kings. You were there last night. So a couple numbers stand out. Obviously, the score really important, three-one. But I know scores I mean, are always important. Really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the tip. That's why I, lo- I love having your. Unless you're place. playing, unless you're playing another six-year-old team in soccer. <laughs> well, you know, don't, don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself there. Um, but I, I was I, I was following the game on on Twitter a lot, and boy, people were were mad at mad at the refs. Oh. What did the power plays end up? Uh, the uh, Wheat Kings were two for nine. Oil Kings were zero oh for two. Okay. Uh, the Wheat Kings had five straight power plays to start the game. Uh, didn't score in any of them. Scored in the sixth and then scored, I think, on the eighth as well. The two, the difference in the game were power play goals. It was 1-1, and then uh, they scored a power play goal uh, late in the second and then got another one early in the third, and that turned the game around. 
So when, when people see that, it's always, well, you gotta, it's got to be even or it shouldn't be that much. I mean, were the Oil Kings that naughty in the game or what was, what was going uh, Yes on? and no. They took some penalties that were obviously penalties. Uh, it wasn't a, a very – I thought the game had the opportunity to get a little physical, a little chippy because early on Brandon was running Peyton Lee in net. I mean, he's been the story of the series for the Oil Kings. Uh, the trainers came out to him twice in the first 10 minutes of the game. And, it, sort of the, and they weren't penalized no, for No, I, I think the second one when there was a penalty for okay. goaltender interference. But they're clearly – Nullified, to... as I, yeah, they were clearly trying to get in his kitchen, as the kids say, right? And uh, and then I thought, this game has a chance to get a little chippy if the old Kings start to retaliate a little bit. Uh, the referee's got to clamp down. Well, he did clamp down, but only on one team, it seems. Uh, the old Kings, there was, there was deserved penalties, for sure. There was penalties both ways that you would go, eh, it could be a penalty, eh, they could let it go. Uh, and it seemed whenever it was an oil king doing it, eh, they called it a penalty. Whenever it was a weak king guy, eh, we'll let it go. You know what I mean? It was just one. They weren't blatant. They weren't bad, bad calls. They were just borderline. It could have gone either way. And because it was a playoff game and because it was so lopsided, uh, the fans started to give the old we want, a, we want a ref chant. And then the big Bronx cheer when Brandon finally took a penalty. The crowd really ripped into the, the officials. But by that time, that it was 3-1. Yeah, it was, it, was, so, it, was, yeah. it was too late by that time. So they, they got – the bottom line is the, the Oil Kings – uh, as Steve Hamilton said after the game, you know, I didn't agree with some of the calls. I let the refs know that. Then he also said, I want to keep a hold of my money, so he didn't want to comment too much on it. But they all basically said that they put themselves in a bad position. They put themselves in the position to take those penalties. So they got to they got to make sure they play a different style of, uh, of aggressiveness tonight when they play in game number four. Well, and it's interesting when the lower seed goes up to nothing because if Brandon were to win tonight... The series is 2-2, but it's probably going to feel like Brandon's ahead, yeah. right? Because oh, yeah. This, uh, tonight, if the Oil Kings don't win tonight, uh, there's pressure on them to win tonight because uh, they're in trouble if they don't win tonight because, you know, they walked into Brandon and they did the un- undreamable, right? They won both games to start the series in Brandon. And then they come home, and if they lose both games, now they got to go to Brandon and win again just to win the series. Like they've already won twice there. You don't, you don't, you don't see yourselves winning three times in you know in Brandon. So yeah, the important game tonight is really, really important swing game in the series. Lots of pressure on the Oil Kings tonight to play uh, the style they need to play, and they have not been they have not been really outclassed at all by the Wheat Kings. Obviously, the series is two one Edmonton, so they played well, got great goaltending in the first two games, and last night they stayed with. I mean. Uh, they ended up out shooting them 35-27. It was 22 shots apiece after two periods of play in a in a one-goal game at that point. We Kings added a goal early in the third period to take the 3-1 lead. But, but the Oil Kings were there. I mean, they had a couple of really good chances uh, early in the first period, in the first five, seven minutes, and didn't score. And if they would have scored there, maybe it would have been a different game. We'll see. But, you know, uh, they got to win tonight. Very, very important hockey game tonight. Morley Scott joining us on Inside Sports. He's covering the WHL playoff series between the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Brandon Wheat Kings. Look, Brandon was a preseason favorite, so it didn't mm-hmm. surprise anybody that they got the number one seed. And and some big names who have either already been drafted or who are being touted for future drafts. I mean, did the... Did the Patricks and Provorovs of the world uh, stand out like you expected Provorov, them to? for sure. Yeah, uh, he's he's a, he's a kind of a guy. Uh, as he comes up ice with the puck, 
the game just revolves around him. Like he decides what's happening. He is, he's got great vision. He's got control of the game. He makes good passes. He's got a good shot. I really enjoyed watching him play last night. I remember him last year in the series. He was good, but he's really, really improved a lot uh, this year in the in the Western Hockey League. He's a good player. I think Philly's got him right. Yep. I think he's a, he's going to be a good player for the Philadelphia Flyers. So yeah, I enjoyed watching him. He's a guy, you know, and he does so much, right? He's on the ice so much. He, he you know he penalty kills. He power plays. He he goes five on five, and he's got the puck a lot. He's got the puck right. a lot, which is what you want from a defenseman. Uh, I mean, Patrick's already being talked about as the first overall pick for uh, for next year. Uh, you know, big uh, big forward. Was he driving the game last night? Uh, he played pretty well. He, he goes to the net really well. Uh, good shot. I mean, he scored the game-winning goal late in the third period. When you got a guy that young playing in such an important time of the game on the power play in a tie game late in the second period, you know that they really got a lot of faith in him and, and the way he plays. Kelly McCrimmon had him out there. So, yeah, he was, he was a good player, too. He was very impressive. Uh, Jace Pollock also, or Hollick. Uh, Horlick, played, yeah. Horlick, yeah, played well, too. Uh, he set up all three goals. Uh, he's a good player, too. Brandon's got, you can see why they led the league in scoring this year because they had a lot of guys who know what to do with the puck when they get it, for sure. All right, but... But, I mean, you mentioned it's not as if the Oil Kings fluked two out on goaltending and then got pounded last night. How are they staying with it? Do you think, you know, are they relying? I mean, they have some guys who were younger guys on that Memorial Cup team. Uh, Lee, I think, had an up. I mean, I interviewed him last week, I think, even by his own admission, maybe an up-and-down season, but he's playing well. What are the Oil Kings doing to to sort of stay with them here. They've got something uh, uh, with them in their game when they play Brandon. I mean, they always play well against Brandon. I mean, they, they won one or two, one game off of last year in the playoffs. Uh, this year in the regular season, they beat them three out of four times. They've beat them two out of three times in the playoffs so far. There just seems to be something, the way these teams match up, that the Oil Kings are very confident in the way they play. And they don't back down from the Wheat Kings. Uh, they're able to, to uh, just keep them under control. They haven't let any of the games like you would think get away from them at all, right? Uh, Oil Kings, like, down the stretch, they played, when they played uh, Red Deer, I think it was, and Medicine, that one game, those games, they got away from them, right? And and those teams aren't as good as Brandon is, but for some reason, they can kind of just corral things in against Brandon and keep the games close. And if you can do that and get good goaltending, you're going to have a chance to win the hockey game. All right, Morley, you're heading to the rink here. Game four. We'll I might keep miss the media updated. meal now, Reed. Sorry, buddy. Uh, okay. es- you're busy. Esk- Eskimo show starting on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, starting on Sunday. We're going to hear from uh, head coach Jason Moss. We're going to hear from uh, CEO and uh, President Len Rhodes with uh, a couple of neat stories. A little bit. I talked to Len in depth about that two-week period after you won the Grey Cup. You won the Grey Cup, and all you're doing is celebrating but there was so much going on behind closed doors during those two weeks that you wouldn't believe. So I talked to him a little bit about that. He also tells a great story about the late Rob Ford, uh, who passed away and uh, had his funeral uh, uh, just this week. So he tells a good story about when, when he was at an Eskimo game about four or five years ago and got a chance to meet him. So uh, we'll hear that Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, on the Eskimo Show here on 630 Chet. Morley, thanks for your time. Anytime, Reed. Morley Scott, he'll be covering Oil Kings, Wheat Kings tonight. We'll be keeping you updated. Inside Sports presented by AMA. Be listening Saturday for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey AMA safety and savings for your family. You can text us to 630-630. couple of those I want to read when Inside Sports continues. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. That's exactly what you're listening to. Right. 
651. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, tomorrow, how about this? John Short's going to be in studio. Maybe I should just get John to host the show. I have to get my picture taken with him tomorrow night. No doubt. You'll have to ask politely. I will. Not be awkward about it. I won't. <laughs> Did I tell you about the time at the Rexall? Uh, was it about last month? Rachel Holman was sitting in my row and I got a picture with her, but I asked politely and I did it during the intermission. You did so, tell me that. Yeah. She's a curler. Yes. Out of Ontario. Nice girl, very polite and did, did what I needed to do and that was it. Got my what, picture taken, got out of there. What have you done with the picture? Did you tweet it? No. Did you post it on Facebook? No. Did I you mean, put it on Instagram? I haven't even put my did dog you, away. Did you Snapchat it? Did you... <laughs> Did you get a Polaroid? Did you? Were you with your Polaroid camera? <laughs> Remember that? You take a Polaroid. Are you even old enough? Oh yeah. And then you'd shake it. So how did shaking it help it develop? I don't know. I guess it got the light into it or something like that. I guess by flicking it. The maybe light. it needed oxygen. Maybe it needed wind. Okay, here's the thing. If you took a Polaroid on a windy day, would you need to shake it, or would you just hold it in the wind? That's a great question. That is a great question. For once, I came up with a great question. Well. Is anybody from the photography industry, or uh, who made Polaroids? Kodak? No, Polaroid, Polaroid was, was Polaroid. That was, was it their own company? I believe so. I thought it was like an offshoot of something. I'll uh, do some Wikipedia work well, here. Yeah, that's right. now, I re- now I really want to know. Uh, inside Sports on 630 Chet, or as we just uh, called it, Inside Photography. Uh, Barry says, so the NHL will go back on an offside... 20 or 30 seconds and check if a skate is half a centimeter off the ice and call it back if it was offside. What has more impact on the game, taking a goalie out or an offside from 20 to 30 seconds ago? That's from Barry. The Big L says, I might be missing something here, but if it's goalie interference, isn't that a penalty? Meaning once L.A. touches the puck, the play should be dead. Well, you can have goalie interference that isn't a penalty. But the Oilers did have that play against uh, Colorado when Purcell scored before he was traded. And Hall wasn't just called for goalie interference. He was called for a penalty. And quite frankly, it was a very similar sort of play to the Lucic one on Brassois. I mean, that's another thing. You know what? First of all, I've been talking way too much about the officiating this week. And I don't don't like doing that because it's kind of low-hanging fruit just to bash the refs. But if there is stuff going on, and it's not just the refs that are making the call. It's the whole video review process and them looking at it on an iPad. It's like looking at a cave drawing trying to figure out whether or not they should have somebody sketch the play really quickly. Sean says, uh, hey, Reed, the Lloydminster Bobcats are in the second round of the playoffs. They play Spruce Grove tomorrow night. How many playoff rounds do you remember the Bobcats winning? Sean, I'm going to tell you this. I covered sports in Lloydminster from March of 2000 until May of 2007. When I started, the Lloydminster Bobcats were beginning the playoffs. And so I covered seven full seasons, but eight playoffs or potential playoffs. I saw the Lloydminster Bobcats win two playoff series in eight years. So when people say to me, how can you cover a team like the Oilers that lose most of the time? Oh, trust me, I've been there. The Bobcats had a lower winning percentage and points percentage most seasons than the Oilers have had the five years I've been doing Oilers stuff. Just saying. 
But that's what it's like. You work in the sports media, you can't control how good the teams that you're covering are going to be. You just got to cover them. Chris says, uh, hey, Reed, the Oilers play the Canucks the last two games of the year. Do we cheer to win, LOL? I have to say I had two goals for the season, 500 points percentage and finishing ahead of Vancouver, who I despise. One might still happen, but I would rather get the higher pick chances. Well, unfortunately, that's what it comes down to this time of year. I mean, do you win or would you just sooner like better lottery odds? The last place team, which the Oilers currently are, gets a 20% chance of winning the lottery. Second last, 13.5%. Third last, 11.5%. Fourth last, 9.5%. I don't think the Oilers will go higher than 27th. That's even probably going to be tough. So they should have at least a 9.5% chance of getting the lottery. And then don't forget, they're drawing two more teams. Sandy says, uh, only the much older Polaroid you could shake with any effect. Most stuff, even from the 70s and 80s, you didn't need to shake it. Fuji and Polaroid made their own instant films. Most people remember or recognize Polaroid, the film slash company. They don't make it anymore, but a new company called Impossible resurrected it, and it doesn't need shaking either. That is from Sandy. Sandy, that is the text of the night. Informative and timely. Penguins leading the Predators 4-2 after 2. We'll update the full scoreboard for you. The Oil Kings getting ready to go at Rexall Place. Going to be a tense night there. There will be a Game 5, by the way. That'll be Sunday at Rexall Place. Uh, Oilkings.ca to check out the schedule for the series and, of course, for ticketing information. Doug McLean from the NHL on Rogers is going to join us. He's also a former general manager in the NHL. We'll talk about the impact of trade requests and places where players don't want to play. Is Edmonton really one of them? That's when we get back inside sports on Chet.